Hello everyone, I am Brennan Sahajan and I attend bar at Washington State's best beer bar, the Manitou Tap House. I decided to make a podcast because the regular customers who come in are the most eclectic group of people I have ever met. And I want all of you to know the perspective and stories from the people from my bar. Today my podcast guest is a great woman from New Zealand. She is a mother of two and wife of a self-professed ski bum which she too is. As a surgeon of OBGYN oncology, she has seen and experienced many things that most of us don't, and her wisdom is immense. She's moving back to NZ in a couple of months with her family, and I'm very honored and privileged to be able to share her stories and experiences with you all. Please enjoy Susie Morton. We're live. I mean, not live. We're recording. Okay, good. Drink up. <laughs> Drink up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I might well, have to open that other bottle of wine. <laughs> okay. First thing that I always say, and um, just thank you for your time. I appreciate it. And I know that time is valuable. And and I am really honored to be doing this. <laughs> and, I mean, you just said to me, why would anyone want to listen or hear about me? But... Believe it or not, you are my most anticipated <laughs> interview. I when I when I started this, I was one of the first people that I thought of was you. I was just like, oh my gosh, it's gonna be so awesome to interview Susie. Like you are so diverse. Like you, I mean, where you come from, which is similar to the United States, but you you have a lot of cultural differences. Yeah. Plus, you're an absolutely amazing woman, very educated. You you have a very uh revered career like what what you do is very significant um i i so anyway i am very honored to have you on here oh um, thank you so yeah <laughs> totally uh, thank you um so we're just going to jump into it then and you don't even know the i don't know the are. questions because i yeah no, no one the, told me there was the, you the, know the, like a pretest. the first well the the first question it's pretty generic, but it can be really deep if you want it to be or whatever. Um, who are you mm. and what led you to be the person you are? Wow. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, I don't well, know. Gosh. Okay. And, who am I? And actually, <laughs> so I'll just, I'm going to give you a little more of a preface, but since you don't know anything about this, yeah. Um, <laughs> all the questions are kind of like philosophical and sort of right. deeper thinking kind of thing. So get ready. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, those are the. Might need to crack open that wine if we're going to yeah. get deep well, thinking, you know. We'll, we'll, definitely okay, we can do and that. And we can edit as we go along. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> we might need to. <laughs> who am I? Um, Gosh, I, well, I mean, I came, you know, raised in New Zealand, um, raised in a, you know, pretty awesome family there um, with amazing parents who... Well, that in and of itself is is a question that needs to be expounded right. upon much more since none of us, most of the people listening to this are not going to know what it means to be raised in New Zealand. Yeah, well, like? you know, it's, well, I think I think that when you think about things now compared to back then, sure, you know, we had no contact. This is really good. What are we drinking? Oh gosh, I just put I put we finished that bottle, so I put it in the rubbish. <laughs> oh, no, it's fine. <laughs> it's yeah, I don't know, I can't mm. remember. But this is a good Syrah that we'll go on to next. Okay. But that's fine. <laughs> um, 
So it's funny because, you know, talking about going back to New Zealand and the kids being raised and having the whole internet and all this sort of stuff, like, we had no idea about the rest of the world. So New Zealand, you know, my my father was like, was used to pretend to be a farmer on the weekend. So when I was about nine... Pretended to be a farmer. Yeah. So when I was about nine, we moved out to this 10-acre block. Mm-hmm. And my mum is from a huge farm. Like Do you call she, it acres or is it hectares? This is acres. Hectares oh. is really big, right? Isn't it? I don't know the difference. Anyway, we it was 10 acres. It's not that big. It was like a little play farm sort of okay. thing. Yeah. But um, my dad's a retired now, but plastic surgeon. And so he... Um, yeah. He was a and then and so we, to be he a pretended to be a farmer on the weekends. So we had this like farm that he and my mom is from a big farm and from a big farming family, so um, which is really kind of amusing because he was a city boy and mm-hmm. you know and um, he was uh, a pre, you know pretty high up in the surgical sort of you know, a hierarchy of New Zealand and Australia. I think it was head of the College of Surgeons for a while and head of the wow. Australasian College of Plastic Surgeons for a while. No plastic kidding. surgery, like, in New I Zealand, like, I think, like, 2 to 3% of his work was cosmetic. That's what I was, so was going to say. Cosmetic thing yeah. is not really plastic a big thing. And, um, here and there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, we, yeah. so he ran a burns unit, so yeah. it was more grafts awesome. yeah, after no, cancer cool. surgery and... and um, you know, managing burns patients and things like that. But, um, and my mum came from a really big farm, like where the, the road is her last name. And, you know, mm. and so they they moved out to 10 acres when I was about nine. Um, and so, you know, we every weekend we had to, you know, work on, you know, drenching goats that they had. My mum would be out there in the morning shooting rabbits, you know, in her nightgown. <laughs> rabbits? Yeah, so rabbits, uh, I don't know, this will go off on so many tangents, no, probably, but, but that's no, what it does, right? Um, so rabbits were introduced to New Zealand by the British who wanted to go hunting, right? Mm-hmm. But there's no natural predators for rabbits in New oh. Zealand. And rabbits breed like rabbits. rabbits. So um, they that's actually... interesting. I don't remember seeing a lot of rabbits there. Well, it depends when you went there. So there was a virus that they brought over in the... When was that? Late 90s. Mm. A virus, a hemorrhagic virus that they got from Australia and smuggled it into New Zealand and it killed, like, I think, uh, these numbers, I'll put it out there, it's probably completely wrong, like 80% of the rabbits from New Zealand. And then a few had resistance and then they've started to build up again. So... um, so, you know, you want to symbolise, you know, a rabbit should, when you have a, when a kid sees a rabbit, they should think, gun, shoot the rabbit, like not cute little furry bunny rabbit. Sure. And um, so actually in New Zealand on Easter Sunday in the Mackenzie country, which is like big farming area in the South Island, they actually have a competition um, that's, um, it's, on, you know, the Easter bunny shootout to see how many yeah. rabbits you can kill on Easter Sunday. Awesome. So, you know. A little way we celebrate, you know, Easter that's, is by killing bunnies. That sounds great. <laughs> so anyway, so but but you know we had like she, you know we had some goats, angora goats, and and um, so a few cows that my mum used to get home killed. Um, so home kill, they just sort of the butcher comes out to your farm and I've been there. Yeah, that's kills it right in front yeah. of the other cows, which I thought was really yeah, wrong. They hang it up right there and everything. Yeah, yeah, right in the middle of the paddock, you know, and it's so. And then um, it was funny once because we had this, she she had a cow that 
gave birth to a calf that died. And my mum immediately went round and found a calf that was without a mother mm-hmm. and made my dad skin the dead calf to put over the live calf to lock this new mum in with another calf draped with the skin of her dead calf so that um, she would take on the dead calf so we wouldn't waste all this milk of a new mother. And she made my dad, like, skin this calf. Did, and did he's he, just like, this is disgusting. Is an actual thing? What? Do people yeah. really do that? Yeah. And so she strapped it and they just locked them in a cage together so that the mother would take on this new calf and nurse it. So and she made my dad do this, and he was like, "That's disgusting." She's like, "You're a surgeon; you can do this." <laughs> so, um, so yeah. So we um, sort of grew up on a farm, and I had horses. My sister and I rode to pony club, and um, yeah, I'm the youngest of three, uh, and I have a older brother, older sister, and myself, and we've all done really different things in life. So, mm. um, but yeah, it's it. Um, I don't know that I always wanted to be a doctor. Um, I actually wanted to be a vet. And when I was 14, I spent a day in a vet clinic and I cried all day. So now I work with cancer patients. So obviously, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, so I was like, I couldn't handle the emotion of being a vet. So I don't know how that maps well, they, out with what I do I now. I mean, don't vets primarily put animals down often? Seemed like it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it seemed pretty sad. Yeah. So I was like, I don't think I really want to do this. Mm. But, um, yeah, so, and then I, you know, I was pretty competitive at school. I went to a, um, I actually got expelled from a Catholic girls' school after six weeks. Good for you. And my dad, (laughs) (laughs) we were raised Catholic. My mum's Anglican, like Mm -hmm. Church of England, but the three of us were raised Catholic. And at age 15, dad asked us if we wanted to continue going to church every Sunday. So we pretty much went to church every Sunday, and one by one we all just went, nah, no, I don't think I'll go back to church, thanks. But I got kicked out when I was like 13. And not, and nothing bad, I just was bored, and I just yeah. was misbehaving, and they decided I'd be best elsewhere. I think my dad was still donating to the school, like, you know, two years later that it kicked me out. <laughs> but um, I ended up going for my last two years of high school to an all-boys school, um, which had just opened up to girls, I think we were the fifth year that ever had girls at the school. So there were 13 of us, I think, over the last, high school's five years in New Zealand. So it was just the last two years of school. Mm-hmm. And it was very much like Dead Poet Society, the school. Like, it was mostly boarders. Um, the girls weren't allowed to board at that time, but it was a very pricey school, still is. It's called St. Paul's Collegiate. And we had school on Saturday, unless you played cricket, you know, you went to school on Saturday morning and chapel because it was all, it was an Anglican school. So, um, and you know, we had we wore long. Is that the dog snoring? He's totally snoring. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be an awesome background. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so we um, it was like long black wool coats and ties, and I was a prefect. I was head of girls' house, and you know, they had a system. Like the fag system, have you heard of fagging? You know, okay. Nope. I mean, nope. so a seventh former, which is last year of high school, they I, I, have you a are, third thing. Fagging. Right? Fags. You have a fag. A fag is a third third former. I know it's probably a little like 
maybe not so you know PC these days maybe I don't know (laughs) so you have someone that you can basically order around they Mm. carry your books back to your to your you know sure to your 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 house you know your boarding house it's like hazing it's a very much a hazing thing and I think while I was there that the because most of the houses were boarding houses so these kids stayed there and I think one one third former had his like spleen ruptured because they were playing pool and when they missed a shot they hit their fag with the pool cue. I mean it's just kind of disgusting crap. Hit like full across, on swing. Full oh. on swing across their abdomen. Yeah, that's Jeez. probably I mean it just weird stuff like that. Yeah, so yeah. it was um it was interesting. Um I ended up being like the only girl in all of my classes and um it's pretty funny because when I when I interviewed to get in there, they were like, you're going to struggle. The, the headmaster just did not want me there. He said, you're going to struggle. And it's, you know, that these guys have been doing, you know, pure sciences in fifth form, which would be like sophomore year here, I guess. Um, so, and he's really had his guy that was in, was a really good friend of mine, that was going to be the ducks of the school of that year, you know, which is what you'd call valedictorian. Oh, the ducks. The ducks. We call it the ducks. Um <clears throat> So Pete and I had one class together, so we had five subjects, and we only shared one class, I think, with statistics. So at the end of those two years, the end of seventh form, I topped five classes, Pete topped four. He was, I came first in stats, and he came second, and I was ducks of the school. Ooh. First ever female ducks of St. Paul's. And I actually, I'm not sure, but <clears throat> when I last was back there, I think... And that's like 1990. I don't think they've had another female ducks of St. Paul's. But I don't know. They might have. But that was a few years ago. I don't know. It was just kind of... <clears throat> it allowed me to get into med school with what we call pref entry. So I got yes. in based on my high school marks, which meant I got to go to university and just basically have a really good time for the first year and not have to worry about passing yeah, things. Well, I had to pass, so, but yeah. I had to get like C's. Yeah. You know, and so we basically drank all year and had a good time at university. Well, I think that's kind of what most people, people do, do at yeah. university. So. No, right on. So yeah, so um, so that was, so I, I really, you know, I, I, I was competitive. I was really competitive and you put me in a class where I'm the only girl in front of a bunch of guys and I just was like, yeah. Yeah, they're getting it. Bring it on. Yeah. And it was, I mean, it was an interesting school because you'd have a test and you'd go to school the next day and outside the door is like 1 to 30, you know, you're graded and like names up, you know, on the door. Which is great when you're number one or number two, but it must have sucked for the people down the list, you know. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, it was kind of, you think about it now and, you know, how you want your kids to school. Then you're like, I, I, I just passed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> made it. <laughs> you're like, I, I don't know that I would want my kids in that environment, but it doesn't suit, you know, I mean, it doesn't suit... When you're going Everyone. to like a prestigious private school like that, they don't care. What no, they're... yeah, it no, and it's you know, and so that, it was interesting, and I still have so many close friends from then and um, from that school, and and but it, but it was definitely interesting, and I think it's still a really pricey, prestigious school. But hmm. that was the end of my high school, so so yeah, so That's then an um, awesome story. It's <laughs> pretty funny, <laughs> but um. And then I went to university in Dunedin, which is, I, it, my parents, I was the last one to leave home. Mm-hmm. 
And um, so you were spoiled. No, no, not at all. <laughs> I just worked worked out how to. But I said how to work it. But um, I remember, like, I said to my parents, I said, like, I could save some money, and for my first year at university, I could go to Waikato University, which was honestly about a fifteen minute bike ride from my house. Like it was on the outside outskirts of town, and we're in the country. Mm-hmm. And my mum was like, yeah, you know, if you if you want to do that, that's fine. I'll take a few days off work and help you find somewhere to live. Like, I mean, they were like, you've left school, you leave home. So I was like, you know what, nah, I'll go go to the other end of the country. That'll be more fun. So, so. which island were? So I was raised in Hamilton, which is in... The North Island. North Island. Yeah. They call there. it the Tron. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. So, and went to Dunedin to Otago University, mm. the bottom of the South Island in Dunedin. So, and, um, cool. yeah, it was, it was awesome. So I was there for three years and then, um, our med school class got split up between Wellington, Christchurch and Dunedin just for our clinical years. Cause Dunedin wasn't big enough. Mm. So you were still under University of Otago, but you, I went to Wellington for two years and, oh, cool. which was, which was fun cause it's a capital city and, you know, full of lots of suits. We used to go out to the bars and. We used to like, what we used to call them, Lombards. Lots of money, but a real dick. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So, so Lombards. Yeah, Lombards. I love it. And go out and All the bars right. of there and then, yeah. So then you started traveling? So yeah, so then I um, I'm, I was on the, the Otago ski team. I don't know why, because I'm not, I, I raced for like one year when I was like 15 and mm-hmm. I'm, was a pretty crappy ski racer, like, like uh, you know, incredibly average on the ski racing thing. Probably mm-hmm. actually really bad. Um, but but the yeah, and at that point the ski the ski team was, you know, there was a lot more emphasis on your ability to jug skull, you know, to like skull a jug, a le- you know, what do you call what do you call a jug? You call it a pitcher. Mm-hmm. So the drinking races were oh. like. <laughs> we're, actually, we're actually quite a bit more important than the skiing races well, at that point. Everything happens in the pub. Yeah. And then I think oh, the next yeah. year they chose the team for the Olympic, the student Olympic Games, and suddenly everyone got out their GS suits and you know got serious. And so mm-hmm. I think I was in the B team at that point, which was pretty much just a drinking team. So, yeah. um, so I I met a friend um, who was who the first year there uh, she was and she and I were at med school together and um, Margie and she was she was a ski instructor that she's now an orthopedic surgeon and um, amazing one of the best skiers I've ever ever skied with yes. and a really good friend and so she was working over in Yosemite in a little ski area called Badger Pass mm. and she's like well. If you, if you can get a visa and I didn't have qualifications at that point so I wrote this essay to get there was like 200 work visas J1 which is kind of like an open work visa they gave to students if you wrote an essay and like why you deserve to spend the spend your summer holidays in the US and they gave you an open work visa yeah so I did that and she got me a job as a rookie ski instructor in Yosemite cool and we flew over together and rented a car and drove up the California coast we were just turning we're both just turned 21. <clears throat> and um, then I went what's, back. I mean, what's drinking we lived in age Yosemite. in New Zealand? Well, when I grew up, it was 20. Oh. But it's now 18. Yeah. But in saying that, my parents used to drop me at the pub when I was like 18, while it was 20. So 
you know, yeah, it's it's a little bit of a different attitude than, which is probably, in other ways, not a good thing. Cause it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's not like they don't have their share of problems, but um, but yeah, so I came over here and taught skiing and for the summer and you know my summer holiday and. And then the next year, Maggie had blown her ACL, so I came over by myself. Well, Shane, who was an Australian, he um, he was over there too the year before. So, and that that year, I just I ran the kids ski school, which was the four to six year old program. Uh, so I was the Badger pups, the pup queen, and yeah, I ran the little kids program, and that's when I met Alan. So he was he was driving snowcats. So yeah. <laughs> so wow. yeah I was like 22 <clears throat> yeah hey cool I know so it's, it's, so that's how you ended up over here so who am I Did I didn't really answer that well, so, I, don't I don't know I mean you know. you're you're answering what led you to be that person mm. I still don't know who you are no no one does <laughs> good <laughs> keep him guessing no one shall <laughs> <laughs> so so yeah so I came over and and then he came back for the for the um, winter and then at the end of that year I took a year off year off out of med school mm-hmm. and we lived in Yosemite for a year and we got married over over there in Yosemite and we lived in a tent at 9,000 feet that was interesting and I worked as a hostess <coughs> in the lodge and my parents thought I'd totally like lost my mind and wasn't coming back to finish med school Oh, like, you hadn't, oh, you hadn't even finished med school. How no, I still had another year. It's six years, like that first year, prelim, mm-hmm. and then you do two preclinical, two clinical, you set your final exams, which I'd done, and then we have this Residency one year called a, it's called, well, it's called a trainee intern year, where the government at that time paid us like 18 grand for the year, but we still paid fees. Mm-hmm. But fees were like, my first year at university in New Zealand in 1991, the government paid me. 250 bucks a week to go to university That's and my fees were like 100 bucks <laughs> the next year they changed it and that's when everything sort of changed in New Zealand like my dad I mean we you know we were never I mean we didn't grow up thinking that we were wealthy you know I mean um, he used to feed hay out of the back of his old Mercedes not the new Mercedes but you know we obviously were totally fine and we were skiing and doing lots of stuff but they were pretty you know the the tax rate the top tax rate was like 66 cents in the dollar but all healthcare was free all university was free you know sure but that higher tax bracket was pretty high and then then that all changed i think like 92 like if you earned i think was like over 200,000 was like 66 cents but so really you know I didn't realize tax the rich in a big way, but there was free healthcare, there was free education, yeah, yeah. and then it sort of changed, and you became means tested. Sure. So my second year at university, I suddenly didn't get. I was means tested on my parents' income till I was like twenty five. So I suddenly stopped getting money, and my med school fees gradually went from you know, hundred bucks to sort of six thousand a year. You know, Mm -hmm. over the over the time, and you know, so. and then, you know, things were just means tested with, with healthcare, access to healthcare and stuff like that, which is still way cheaper than here, you know. 
So, uh, yeah. Because yeah. it's everywhere else besides here. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That, mm-hmm. yeah. that you don't worry about getting sick and yeah. going broke and things like yeah. that. So, yeah. But anyway. Well, how do you, I mean, mm. I guess I'm, I'm going to ask a little more. Um, how did you get into like such a, a narrow f- field? S- yeah, specific area of medicine. So, I, and it's interesting because I, when I, well, my dad's a surgeon, so he, it was funny, when I got into med school, he's like, you'll be a surgeon. I was like, okay, maybe I won't, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, let me top up your wine. Oh, thank you. Um, So, I, you know, we didn't have to decide till like a year after med school compared to here where they have to decide really quickly um so i liked ong or what you call Mm obgyn but i also loved surgery and i think a lot of it's like who you work with you know if you work with assholes you're like i don't want to do this specialty um so then i i worked um with with a guy called pete sykes who in fact i'm going to go back and work with again now so how about that for full circle is that pretty good? Oh, yeah, that's really good. Okay, good. We've got to have good wine. I think that... Life's too short. That might be wine. better than... I think it would wine. be, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're going to work for him again? I'm going to work with him, yeah. He'll be one of my partners, so when I go back... So I worked no, with him. him. with him. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Well, maybe four, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be like the new kid when I get back there. But, um, so I worked with him, and he he's a a um, gynae oncologist, so GYN oncologist. Mm-hmm. And I just, you know, he was amazing with his patients or as amazing with his patients. And I just loved that specialty. So then I was going, I'd applied to get on the training program. So we were living in New Zealand then um, for ONG, for OBGYN. And I actually got accepted on the South Island training program. And they kind of knew that we were looking at moving to the States because Alan was... Just wanting to come back as his uncle had died and he yeah. he felt like he just couldn't get back to the back here when he wanted to because we didn't have the money for him to fly back whenever he wanted and it was so expensive in those days. Um, so then he's like, I think we might go back to the States. And I was like, well, if we go to the States, I've got to go now because you have to start everything sort of from scratch over oh. here. Like if I did all my training in New Zealand... I couldn't come and work in the US. You really have to come in as an intern when you're a foreign grad. So I was like, you know, if we're going to go, let's go now. Um, So I turned down the training position. I didn't have a job here. I I wrote to this guy. I was like looking at residency programs over here. And I wrote to this guy and he wrote back. And he's like, I'm going to be visiting, you know, like visiting New Zealand like next month, I'll come by. And he came to my work and met some of my bosses and he ran a program in Fresno, which was a UCSF residency program, mm-hmm. but in Fresno. And he came and he was like total chain smoker, coughing up a lung, you know, it sounded like. When was this? This is like, gosh, when did we come to the States? It was like 2000. So this is like 99 or something. And this oh guy's like gosh. smoking like a ch- you know like a chimney, coughing up. And so anyway, I came over here for an interview, and 
he um, pulled me into his office and he was like, hey, when I go back from New Zealand, you know, I kind of started, you know, having pain in my back and I went in. I've got lung cancer oh, throughout my whole body, like in my bones and everything. And I was like, oh. Cool. Do I have the job? Do I have the job? <laughs> so he, he was an amazing guy. So basically I got, they, so I went back to New Zealand because um, I'd sort of come over for the interview stuff and um, went back and I was meant to start as an intern in July and oh my god that's such a whole nother story so um (laughs) but I was meant to start as an intern in July and then um they called me and um said I think he called me because he I don't know know whether he'd obviously he didn't call me if he'd died at that point so obviously (laughs) I, I don't know who called me anyway they called me and they said can you start straight away as a second year resident because you've got experience like I'd already worked for three years yeah um, because we have someone that's gone out on medical leave. Could you come in and start straight away? Yeah. So instead of starting in July as an intern, you know, where it's intern, second year resident, third, fourth, like yeah, a four-year yeah. thing, yeah. you can so you start leap, in you, leapfrogged. you start in February yeah. Yeah, as a second year. So I was like, sweet, that sounds much better than July as an intern. So sweet, sign me up. So we came over here and I started, but they never got any approval through the RRC, which is the Resident Review Committee or the American Board. To do that, and you cannot bring a foreign grad into any other position other than an intern position. And they put me in to replace someone that was out on medical leave because of migraines. And Hmm. so she still had a position, and they basically brought me and threw me into this job. And then she was coming back, and the dean of like UCSF came up to me. And these are like the crazy workout days. We moved to the States, brought two dogs over, and I was like, you know what, if I'm going to do this, like I'm responsible for going to work, going to sleep, like nothing else. You know, if I want to walk the dogs, I'll walk the dogs. If I want to cook, I'll cook. I used to cook like maybe once every four months. Wow. Like I, sure. And we worked 110 hours a week. We worked 36-hour shifts. And you're just a zombie. You're a total zombie. Yeah. So you would go to work at 6 a.m. and finish at 6 p.m. the following day. And sometimes you got some sleep in that time, sometimes you didn't. Um, and then you go home and you just basically, if you, you know, walk in the door, you know, curl up in bed, That's... be back at work for at 6 a.m. the next day for 12 hours and then go home, fall asleep. Does that still happen? No, no. Okay. So they changed it to where you can't work more than, I think, 72 or 80 hours or something a week. Wow. But we were doing, Jeez. we were doing 110, and these, these. So I think they pulled me in like in the afternoon when I was like at probably 30 hours of working, and said, "Hey, this woman's coming back. You don't actually have a position. You're kind of screwed." And the chief residents, like I came back and I was like in tears. And they called the program director and it was screaming at him. It was just like this. And I was like, I don't know what the hell's going on. You know, so like, you're not really protected. You're not really, Mm -hmm. your position wasn't really fully approved and all this sort of stuff. Um, So I, um, I went to this conference and I thought I was signing up for some like resident lunch thing, but it was actually resident educators lunch. So I ended up going to this luncheon at like the, American College of OBGYN meeting, big meeting in San Francisco, mm-hmm. and sitting next to the head of the board, 
Norman Gant. And I was like, I should not have been at this luncheon. I should not have been sitting there. And I told him my story. And I was still kind of in limbo at that point. And he was like, you need a Gant letter. If you have a Gant letter, you'll be fine. I was like, what does that mean? He said, if I give you a letter saying what you need to do and that you're okay, you're okay. Like, all you need is a letter from me. So I made contact with him and I got a Gantt letter and the RSC approved it and I, it took a while to fight to say I need to do these rotations and this woman... Do you ever, ca- do you ever buy lottery tickets? Oh my God. <laughs> 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 so, it was awesome when I was applying for fellowship because I was like, it took forever to just explain that whole like messed sure. up thing. But I, um, <clears throat> and in most crazy residency, I mean, one of our residents shot another resident like they were married and she shot him in the butt and because uh, he was cheating on her and all and, this sort of and stuff. And she shot him in the butt? Well, she, she, was, she shot him from the bottom of the stairs and I think the bullet's still lodged there somewhere. But and he turned at the last minute. I don't know. I don't know. Missed, missed some vital structures. <laughs> missed what she was aiming at. So we had a pretty messed up residency. And, um, and so when I finished my, my fourth, fourth year... Because I was there in the country like four months and then I was a third year resident. And I finished my fourth year and my classmates graduated and I'd done 28 months of US residency and you need to do 48 months. Oh my And my gosh. classmates had graduated and I was like, hi, I'm still here. You know, because I couldn't leave. So I did this extra year and I did general surgery rotations and I went did two months in New York City at Sloan Kettering um, and... I kind of just designed the year how I wanted it and did what I wanted, mainly My just focusing goodness. on GYN oncology, and then um, and then I got I got well, I went to New York for two months and worked my ass off. I mean, I was in the hospital at three a.m. I'd get home at like ten or eleven p.m. You know, home which was a furnished. You can't see me saying furnished apartment that they gave me, but it didn't have any, it had a bed and like no blankets. So I steal, I had to steal blankets from the hospital to, and I had a toaster and I survived and I had a tin of Marmite, which is like the New Zealand form of Vegemite. And I lived on toast and Marmite because I couldn't afford anything else for two months in an apartment. (laughs) Left Alan, I left Alan and... Fresno and um, like when I came home two months later the casserole dish from what we'd eaten the night before was still in the sink soaking like I think he ate takeout like fast food every night for two months like he didn't cook like it was really bizarre hmm. anyway whatever each to their own um, anyway they gave me a job they offered me a job as a research fellow and I got the RSC and another Gantt letter approval to leave my residency eight months before I'd done my full time oh my and moved to New York City and do a two-year research fellowship. And they also paid for me to do a master's at Cornell. They paid me full salary as a research fellow, gave us housing, and then they also paid an extra probably 60 grand for me to do a master's at Cornell. So... I only worked half the time the other time I was over at Cornell doing a master's, which was pretty awesome. That was given to you. Yeah. And there was like eight of us in this master's class. And um, 
Yeah, it was. It was it so just, you have a master's degree from Cornell? Yeah, I have a master's in science from Cornell. <laughs> it's the easiest master's I think anyone could ever accomplish. It was really pretty straightforward. We, but you my dad have a master's because, from Cornell that well, you got da- for free. Yeah, I didn't pay for it. Oh my While getting gosh. paid and living in New York City for two years. And I turned up pregnant with Bailey. And yeah, that was... And you turned up pregnant. It was really funny because I was at the orientation... And um, I found out I got the job, this two-year job, right when I found out I was pregnant. And um, and I get there to the orientation, and they've got all the surgical fellows, and they're like, you know, going through your benefits and everything. And they're like, once you've been here 12 months, you'll be eligible for maternity leave. And I'm like seven months pregnant, like, oh, what? <laughs> and Alan's still working in California, because he drove me out there, and then he flew back, and with two dogs that we'd flown from New Zealand many years before. So we lived in a 900-square-foot apartment um, between Manhattan and Queens on Roosevelt Island. And Bailey was born in New York. She's a New Yorker. And so I just, basically, my boss, I said, I'm not entitled to any maternity leave. And he was like, he just, he's like, everyone just take six weeks. Just go away for six weeks. No one will know. Don't tell anyone you're pregnant. I was just like, Okay. Not noticeable. Not noticeable at all. I'm just going to go away for six weeks. I actually ended up going back and working like several times during that six weeks to get research papers through the council and stuff, the research council. But yeah, so we lived in New York for two years and lived in this sweet apartment. It was subsidised, so we... It was two bedroom, two bath, overlooking, like we had views at our window of the Empire State Building, overlooking Manhattan, doorman, gym, and we paid, I think, 1500 pre-tax, so it worked out to like 1100 after tax, and it would have otherwise <laughs> gone for like four grand, but the apartment building was owned by Sloan Kettering, Memorial Sloan Kettering is... There's MD Anderson and Memorial Sloan Kettering, the two big private yeah. hospital, uh-huh. private cancer hospitals in the US. So I did two years at Sloan Kettering, got a master's at Cornell during that time. My dad came over, told everyone that I was on stage at Carnegie Hall. <laughs> I was like, I just walked across and picked up my master's, but yeah, I was on stage at Carnegie hey, Hall. You were, yeah. And Dad told everyone he was going to New York to see I've his daughter on stage there. at Carnegie Hall. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so um, and then after that, I. Pretty much picked where I wanted to go for my fellowship, and I got my first choice, and we moved to Sacramento. So yeah, lots of things have sort of just like landed in my, you know, been yeah. pretty cool things. So that was amazing. But Alan was so because he was a tour guide in Yosemite when I got the job in New York, and he was just like, of all the places I would live in the world, the last place I ever want to live is New York City. And I'm like, come on, it's two years, be fun. And he was so lost. I worked on 67th and 1st. And he was meeting me there one day. And he's like calling me, just like, I'm totally lost. I don't know where, which way to go. And I'm like, it's a grid, dude. <laughs> There's avenues and streets. You know? I do know. I've it's like, there. it's yeah. a grid. It's like the easiest place in the world to get around because it's a damn grid. Mm-hmm. But not for a mountain guy. He can figure it out. <laughs> anyway. Wow. So, yeah. And an avid Yankee fan. Right. Well, that was about the only thing I dragged in there. And he was like, he's like, I can see the Yankees. So, yeah. 
And I think we were there for two years and it was my parents visited us three times. It's amazing when you have a apartment in New York City, how often people come and visit you. It was like we had to like keep you know, it's like, no, we've got someone staying. So yeah. Wow. Mm. <sighs> well, so anyway. I mean we could we can keep going on this or do you want no, to no, no, no. no, let's do questions. Okay. So I don't know that I answered that question. Yeah, I I mean, it it all is just, it'll come out. (laughs) Oh, gosh, how do I even get into this? Next question. Um, But this is an abrupt left turn. Okay. Because sometimes when people talk about who they are, they talk about like their passions and stuff like that. I like to ski. (laughs) (laughs) That's my problem. Well, here's the the question. (laughs) What is worth dying for? What is worth dying for? And does any cause or thing hold weight enough to die for anymore? Hmm. It's interesting because I deal with death and dying all the time. Um, I don't know, I think... But that's sort of involuntary. This is kind of more of a Right, no, 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 totally. <laughs> totally, that's not people choosing. Like, hey, yeah. I'm going to have this horrible cancer. And, um, I mean, I think that, I remember saying when we had kids, you know, when we had Bailey, and I was just like, oh, my God, I would stand on your head, Ellen, and drown you to save her life. Yeah. You know, and I think that's, it's kind of, kids as a whole different thing, well, you that, know. That's the obligatory answer. That is the obligatory yeah. answer. Um I don't want to die for something. <laughs> Do I? Not... <laughs> Pick something out that you want. I'm just yeah, God. I, I'm, I'm like world peace and all that shit. No. Well, yeah, I, I, right. Um, um, well, I don't know. I mean, that's part of the second question. Do you think anything even holds enough weight in your life that you? Be, I mean, besides like your besides fam- what you do, everything or, for your family, yeah, your, yeah. your family, and your kids, and everything. I don't know. I mean, we can rephrase it. Do you, mm. can, can you stand up for something that you, is there something that you really believe in that you're eh, willing I to, think I, I think my I, life might be on the line here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that, um, well, I think in the last few years in this country, I feel like... I don't even know what you're referring to. So much has happened in the last few yeah, years. Yeah, it's well, like, what does she actually I just, mean? <laughs> you know, I think I I see that there's there's not... So, New Zealand versus here, versus the US. by wearing... Not wearing a face mask or wearing... Right, no. No, I'm, I'm good with wearing a face mask. Yeah, I'm good okay. with being vaccinated. Yeah. You know, when they hand out the COVID vaccines, I'll be, like, lining up. Hopefully get one. I'm pretty sure you. you'll get one. I think you're part of the yeah yeah so preferred maybe we, list or yeah, whatever since yeah, hopefully. Your but um, no. What would I? I you know I I don't know that it's something that I would sit there and say I'm gonna die for this. Um, so maybe that makes me not the nicest person, but that's yeah, the honest answer. It has nothing to do with niceness. Or no, I'm not. I never I'm, claim to be nice. Oh. So yeah. Um, I think what I what I really want to stand up for is just equality of like you know access to healthcare. Like mm. to me, that is the 
the biggest <coughs> tragedy that I see in this country is the fact that people are people going through the leaving here. Right. <laughs> well, people are going through like the worst shit of their life. Oh, yeah. And they're like, is this going to be covered by insurance or how am I going to pay for this? And knowing that they, and, and you know, and, and they're like, is this, is this surgery paid for by my insurance? I'm like, I don't know. You is know it I mean? weird it's to a, think that we don't, it's, healthcare isn't a right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And every other country just looks at the US and be like, well, what the hell is wrong with you? Like, the idea that, right, yeah. But it's all about me, 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 me. It's this whole... It's almost like, and I think that in the last year, it's almost just like, ah, I just guess we've seen capitalism fail. You know, the lack of a community, the lack of saying, you know, I'm okay paying high taxes so that other people have health care. Like, my parents have had private health care probably all their life. You never hear them say, well, I don't want my taxes to go to other people's health care. No, they're just privileged enough that they can buy private health care, but they still access the public system, mm-hmm. you know, if need be. My mum was just in a public hospital having cardiac issues um, a year and a half ago. So the existence of the public hospital looking after everyone, maybe it's not giving the the most expensive, even sometimes futile care to, to a few people, but it's giving that basic care and that basic stuff to everyone. Mm-hmm. And... I kind of am, you know, I get I get more and more disgusted by having to deal with insurance companies, having to, to, you know, everything we do, we have to, you know, we're documenting to the level of billing so that we get reimbursed, you know, right. appropriately. Mm-hmm. And the greed mm-hmm. you see, the, you know, you see people doing stuff that, Maybe it doesn't need to be done, but, you know, we can build a little higher for that level, you know, sort of stuff. I don't know. It's It just seems very corrupt. And it's, and then seeing people just financially ruined by getting sick. So, I mean, I'd love to sit there and say, I'm going to stay and fight it, you know. But you're not. But I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> but I hope that one day... Yeah. There's enough, and I mean, I'm glad that Bernie's just pushed this, you know. But it's like, how is it going to change here? Because people are so brainwashed to think that they've got the best healthcare system in the world. It's like, no, you've got the most expensive healthcare system in the world. Mm-hmm. Best would be based on outcomes. Right. So, <laughs> um, so. Guess that, and I want the powder. I want snow to keep falling. <laughs> well, you know, that's definitely worth <laughs> So anyway, that just shows I'm shallow. No, it doesn't at all. Um, all right. No, I like I like that answer. Uh, next question then: Where does your inspiration come from? Mm-hmm. You know, I would say. In terms of my career, my dad has been a huge inspiration. My dad yeah. is. Um, could you could you imagine if your dad was a one of the top plastic surgeons in California, <laughs> and you would be in rate? I mean, it would be 
Yeah, you'd be in a different, different so thing. Yeah, different. and it's funny because when I came over here, and you know, Alan's family's like, "Oh, he's a plastic surgeon." I'm like, "Yeah, it's but, not you know, really, it's not what really you mean, what you what mean." You think, yeah. yeah, you know. So we <clears throat> cosmetics isn't really a big thing in New Zealand. Yeah. Like, you know, I remember I had one of my friends came over here and she was like, "This." She came to my work. She's at ER doc Penny in Sydney, and she came to my work and she was oh. like. You don't, you don't have to keep feeding Well, it's right wine. there. It's right there. You can feed yourself. Um, so she came to my work and she's like, people here are wearing makeup at work. And she was like, that's just so bizarre. Like, why would you wear makeup to work? You know, no, you know, you know, very few doctors or anything. We would never wear makeup. That's when you're going out. You know, we don't wear it to work. You don't, I mean, who can be bothered getting, you know... It just, it was, a, it's a, and so the whole like, you know, his work was very much Burns patients. Yeah. We used to, um, after church, you know, after we'd yeah, slept his, through an hour of church, was, we would go around people's houses and It was admirable. And see, yeah. As opposed to. Yeah. Hush, hush. Right. <laughs> and it was all about, and it was all reconstruction after cancer surgery. Yeah, yeah, and, totally. and stuff like that. And so he, um, I was a clean, but also, I mean, we. Well, I didn't mean I didn't mean to push you. I was no, no, but it's interesting just because interesting we hypothetical. we we you know my sister and I bought a car when I was fifteen <clears throat> and she was seventeen, mm-hmm. and my dad made a big deal about the fact that he was going to help us buy a car, mm-hmm. and we bought this Hillman Avenger with this horrible brown color. We bought it for nineteen hundred bucks, and my dad made a big deal about the fact that he was helping us out and he gave us fifty dollars. Hillman Avenger. Have you ever heard of that? No. <laughs> But I it was love a pretty the name ugly car. But Dad gave us fifty dollars towards the car, and that was it. And it was nineteen hundred bucks. And so he helped you. Yeah, but he made a big deal. I'm gonna help you out, you guys. You know. Um, and so we, I had a job after school. At thirteen, I took a bus after school and worked washing dishes in a rest home. And then my parents would pick me up on their way home from work. My da- my mum ran my dad's practice. She was when you were thirteen. Uh huh. When, and then when the I was driving age, no, I took a bus to the to the rest home. Well, I'm saying, were you raising money to get this car when you were thirteen? No, but I needed money oh, for doing okay, stuff. Gotcha. Sorry, thirteen, yeah, 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 fourteen. I just had, I had to have an after school job. I mean, so I washed dishes in a rest home. Thirteen year olds don't usually work. Here. Well, don't usually. <laughs> <laughs> and then when I was sixteen, I worked. I can't imagine my son who's thirteen washing right. dishes. <laughs> I once, I took this woman her food at the rest home because she couldn't come to the, Mm -hmm. I mean, it was a big rest home. And I took this woman her her tray because she couldn't, she was too sick to come in. And she sat up in bed and died right in front of me, like, and passed out. And I'm like, dropped the tray and I ran out. And And you're a middle schooler. Yeah, well, high school. So high school's five years, so I guess we're. Oh, anyway, yeah, sure. But anyway, so then um, when <clears throat> I was sixteen, wow. I used to pick kiwi fruit in the summer holidays. We'd sleep, we'd stay in a caravan, which is what you call a trailer or a, a what do you call those things? You anyway, you yeah, call a caravan car- trailer, yeah, yeah. So we'd stay in a caravan and pick kiwi fruit all through the holidays, and then I guess you don't I'm, call it a caravan. That's like what pikeys say, right? <laughs> and then. <laughs> And then when I was 16, I worked um, 
two nights a week, eight till midnight, and every second Saturday night, midnight till 8 a.m. Um, at a wow. rest home that was a farmhouse. And the nurse who owned it lived just up the hill, but what you couldn't see her house from this house. Mm-hmm. And there were six or eight people in this home, mm-hmm. and it was, so it was like a regular home. And I would go out there at just before eight o'clock, and and that was in my last year, two, my last two years of high school. And I would look after. I would, I would. There's. Some days I'd go out there a little earlier and I'd make their dinner, but I'd clean up their dinner, I'd feed them dinner, and I'd get them to bed. And there was an old guy there with a colostomy bag, and I used to have to, like, wash out his colostomy bag oh. at age 16. And I worked in, till midnight, and then I'd drive myself home. You know, Is my, this a... In the of, middle of the country. Is this, like, a common thing that, like, children to work. of that age would kind of Yeah, do. we'd always have jobs and stuff, but, you know, so I wanted money to... Buy sure, stuff and sure. do stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And my parents were really pretty, few, you know, frugal in terms of what they'd give us. So they'd take us, you know, Dad, Dad was always take us skiing and stuff. But sure. my mum made my ski clothes. I mean, all the pictures of us, she'd like hand. We we made all our clothes. Hmm. I became quite a good sewer because if we wanted to go to like a prom, what we called a ball, yeah, you'd go and pick out a pattern, pick out the material, and sure. make it yourself. Yeah, no, I get, I get, I get that. And but... so I learned to sew. So my mum would. But it was... <clears throat> it just seems pretty hard and... Uh, yeah, I think near the end I, of I mean, my the, high the, school, the, I dropped that job because I was trying to get really good grades to get into med I school. Mean, but when, like, kids now, they get jobs at fast food restaurants and they run a yeah. till and... Yeah, you my know. brother worked at but McDonald's. And, what you're talking you know, about, like, that's... Yeah, my sister and I worked at this restaurant. That's like a real... That's right, like and a, I look back on it and I was like, I was 16, 17. development and like really turning yeah. into a real person kind of a job. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so, but I think that, you know, we were... Oh, sorry. Dog. Kicked you right in the nose. Um, but I think my, you know, my my dad was instillers, you know, and my mum too. I mean, she's, she's, what she's gone through, like my mum's had eight hip replacements Five on one side, three on the other. So, you know, she's and she's still so replacements, uh-huh. or just reconstruction. No. So, because when yeah. you replace it, should it not? Have so to be the original ones. I mean, I, I went to like a grand rounds once, and it was on the history of hip replacements, right? Uh-huh. And the first ones were designed for women in their seventies to last ten years, you know. Yeah. And so my mum's like femur, I think. The bone actually is like ends halfway down. The rest is just metal. And but she would she's she it's went a through. Woman. She is a bionic woman. <clears throat> yeah. So um, I I told people when I was little that my dad was made of plastic and my mum was a bionic woman. I think you know because she was these artificial hips. But um, but so she um, and she's still really active and does stuff. And she's you know I think she's always annoyed that other people have no problems with their house and don't do stuff and she wants to do all these things awesome but um so she's she's incredible what she's gone through and still does with her mm-hmm. hips and um so i don't know it was, it's it's interesting she stopped skiing when we were little so yeah but, but she had inspiration it clearly comes from your family yeah i mean yeah and but so my mom when she was 
when I was 13, my sister was 15, my brother had left home. My mum spent three months of that year in the hospital. She did two six-week blocks getting hips replaced, which were, they were like meant to last forever. They were like bone graft, cadaver graft. She was in traction for like six weeks. And we'd go up and see her and she had like a mini bar like in a hospital room. It was funny. She'd like you go up there on a Friday night and it was like a cocktail hour. All her friends were up there and they'd pick, you know, you know, um, pouring cocktails and... That's what my sister and I learned to cook because Dad really didn't cook and and he didn't do anything, you know, mm. around the home like that. Didn't iron his shirts and we told him to get lost. We're not ironing your shirts. Do it yourself. But um, so, yeah, so she was away for three months of the year and Dad was always working, you know, long hours and Chris had left home, my older brother. So, yeah, it was, it was interesting. But... Well, great. <laughs> I, I mean, it, uh, all of that sounds, that's great inspiration. You have, I mean, your family just sounds incredible. Um, <clears throat> pretty awesome. All right. Uh, do you feel in control of your life? Not right now. <laughs> well, I, I know it's funny. Uh, and, and, I mean, I guess I alluded to it already, but people listening... We are still in the middle of the pandemic, and mm. this is, you're the third person that I've interviewed since we've been in, in this time, and gosh, it's been coming up on a year, no, I, yeah, it all now. shut down in March, in March so. so, so, you know, I mean, um, yeah, so do you feel in control of your life, and I mean, what holds you down if you don't, or, do so I think, or, I think the whole to us, us, the pandemic, I mean, to me, it's just the worry that I'll bring it home, you know, because I'm the one, when everything was locked down and everyone was at home and I was the one going back out to work. And um, Sacred Heart is just like crazy COVID right now, right? Yeah. But I'm, I've am i only dealt with, you know, one COVID patient that I had to see every day. And, and um, so... The so whole like shutdown and was things. Was your was your work? Sorry to interrupt. Yeah. Was your work considered essential when in the original shutdown? So we, so I have you know within every aspect of this, <clears throat> we have been um, what I would say blessed as fuck. Can mm-hmm. I say that yeah. blessed AF? Yes. You know I I wish there was another term for Thanks blessed. Thanks for censoring yourself on the second time around. I know I did. <laughs> Could I say that? <laughs> Yes. No, Can I say that word? This is totally okay. Okay, it's like HBO. Yes, yeah. Okay. It's totally <laughs> HBO. Anything so, goes. So we, you know, Alan's work got shut down, but, you know, I'm the major breadwinner, so, and I got to keep working. And then when you look at surgical specialties, a lot of surgeons, when they shut down elective surgery initially, mm. and they're just, we're just starting that again. Basically today I got an email that we're trying to limit just ICU beds, so we're trying to limit... You can't do elective surgery if they're going to stay in hospital. Yeah. So that's sort of just come today. But most of my surgery is not elective. It's cancer surgery, yeah. so it's compelling. So I had like a week where I couldn't do much because we were short on filters because they were using them all on the west side when the big yeah. surge in April, yeah. early April on the west side of the state. So you look at all these like surgeons, like orthopedics and plastics, who they weren't working at all. And yeah. They were completely shut down, and and I know people with 
private ortho groups and general surgery groups and the financial impact on them. Yeah. Whereas I work for Providence, a big organization, and our surgery is not elective. It's compelling or urgent or, you know, so there's all these lists of the levels of things. So we basically didn't really, we slowed down a little bit, mainly because of things coming to us. The people weren't going to their um, doctors. So we suddenly, the filtering process slowed down, but what came through, we were still able to work. So I, throughout this whole thing, People are worried about how will they cope with their kids at home. Mine are 13 and 16. I presume they're doing schoolwork. I don't know. <laughs> Part of me doesn't care. So, um, you know, we, we really haven't been affected at all, you yeah. know, in terms of sure. we, we really, we've really been spared this completely. So I think we're moving to New Zealand, and that was kind of an interesting decision. And that's really kind of scary for me because I mean you t- you say that to people and they're like oh my god you get to move to New Zealand but it's like that's where I'm from that's just it's, not, mm-hmm. it's like some magical place it's home it's New Zealand and I've lived here for 20 years it is a magical place <laughs> maybe it is a magical place but you know yeah. um, but I've lived here for 20 years I love living here I've got an awesome job with awesome partners you mm-hmm. know and I make good money and I'm going into the unknown. I'm going to work at the public hospital in a system that I haven't worked at for over 20 years. Is it significantly different? It is going to be different. Um, There's some aspects I'm so looking forward to. Like, I'm going to get paid a salary. Like, I don't have to sit there and bill to, you know, make sure I'm documenting something to this level. I can actually just document what's important. You know, whereas so many of the things we do are just related to the billing aspect and all that sort of stuff, which seems so stupid. But um, are we doing the right thing? Are we, we're up, the upheaval of everything. We're selling, I love my home. I'm really sad to leave this house. I mean, it's, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. So it's just, it's got a lot of character and I'm, I'm really, and the kids mock me because I'm like, leaving this home. They're like, it's a house. It's a building. Who cares? Good for them. Right. I know, it's so true, it's so true. Yeah, it's good when they just slap you down and be like, you're just dumb, it's a house. (laughs) And you're like, but it's like, you know, are we doing the right thing? Is is everyone going to be okay? It's going to be, and I know that, as someone said, like, well, if it doesn't work out in the first year, you can come back. I mean, my partner's like, you can come back. I'm like, well, we know the first year's going to suck. You know, it's going to be. So do I feel in control? Yeah. I just need to go skiing. Well, you can. You're going to be on the South Island. I know, but I need to go now. <laughs> <laughs> so that's this weekend. Like, I just Schweitzer's need to... open. Yeah, know. no, we're, we're past the bounce bucket. But mm. we'll go up this weekend, and that'll make it all okay. Like, I can handle all the stress at work if I can just get out there and ski. Yeah. That's my... Have ultimate. you not been up yet? We did one day at um, Lookout. How but I kind of threw my back out because... I don't know, I did something from moving stuff around this house. Did they have a last snow? They hadn't. It was okay. It was just the front side open. That was yeah. the weekend before Thanksgiving. And then then last weekend was Thanksgiving. It was Alan's birthday. So we didn't go up, but we're going to go up this weekend. And I'm just, you know, I I love skiing. It's total freedom. Did Tom say that snow was good? 
at where it... Um, and for can. He, he didn't really say too much about the snow, but he said the opening. So it looks okay, but, you know, yeah. it's it's fine. It's better than not. Yeah, I mean... Just need some more to first come around. Of the days of yeah. December. It's fine. It's all good. <clears throat> so that'll be good. That'll, and that's how I basically how I decompress is. Awesome. Is go skiing and in the summer, we go camping and you know things yeah. like that. I just have to get away from a cell phone reception, you know things like that. So do you thrive on feeling that you are in control or no? Do you care? Seems like you kind of just wing it. Yeah, mostly wing it, I think. That's awesome. I mean, I don't know, like, I guess we're, most doctors are control freaks and surgeons, we're probably control freaks, but then at the same time you realise you're not really in control. Well, you get very like, used to the fact that you go into a case and you're like, hope it all goes well and I hope everything goes like it should. Especially in the world of oncology. Yeah, and then, like, and then you realise that... Things always take a turn, and this, and you know over time. I mean, I finished my fellowship eleven years ago. Mm-hmm. You learn that you just you know take a deep breath. You call for help if you need help for another specialty, and you just figure it out. And yeah. you just have to figure it out calmly, and you know. Yeah. But I think that scares me going to New Zealand. I'm like. <gasps> Really? Am I going to be good enough? Am I going to be okay? And they can look at me and be like, ah, what happened to her? <laughs> I know, it's always, that... but it's these stupid little insecurities that everyone has, you know? Sure. And you think that, you know, you're above that, but you're not. Well, I mean, Sacred Heart is, it's a good hospital. Yeah. No, it's, it's <clears> fine. It'll be fine. I'm sure yeah. it'll be fine. I'll just wing it. Yes. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Um, all right, this is, I like this next question and you don't have to incriminate yourself, but if you want to, that's cool too. You're leaving the country. What have you done that is truly wrong and can something be truly wrong? Hmm. I, I think I've done, I've done some things in my personal life and in my work life I think we all have in work life that's probably the easy one you know um, as a surgeon you say if you don't have complications you're either lying or you're not operating enough uh-huh. there's all these lovely little sayings in surgery but I have one case from years ago where I truly feel like I should have acted sooner and I really feel that the bad bad outcome was from me but do you think that that was something that you did that was wrong? I don't think I responded <clears throat> quickly enough to something or seriously enough. Like, I mean, it, I truly don't. Mm-hmm. And I think that, um, and that was a bad outcome. And I think that I, you know, you, you always have these things where you're tired and you're like, I just want this to go away, you know. Sure. You know, yeah, like Trump and COVID. Of... Like, I don't want to deal with it. <laughs> Let's just ignore it. <laughs> go away. Um, and it didn't, and, and I think if I'd acted sooner, there might have been a different outcome. And I, so really, like, those things... That's hard to put that on the level of right and wrong. Because you're talking about... No, I, 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 to me it know. is. To me it is, you hmm. know. Hmm. Um, I, um, I think that... I guess I can't imagine being in your position 
Oh. Yeah, no, to me it is. Because, I mean, there's things where I'm like, that's a complication. I tried my best. This is a complication. You deal with the complication. And sure. It, those things happen and bad it, things happen and all that. But if you're like, married. I don't think I... Resp- and this is years ago. This is, you know, like eight or nine, eight or, you know, many years ago. But, you know, it's something that sticks with me. Like, mm-hmm. you know, because you always think, could I change something? We second guess ourselves all the time. Wake up in the middle of the night like... Uh-huh. Um, so that's one thing, but, um, truly wrong. Um, I, I was hitchhiking once and got picked up by a guy, my friend Maggie and I were hitchhiking and he picked us up and he needed to, he was going to Invercargill and we were going the other way and we told him that it was quicker to go the way we were going and we made him drive about four hours out of his That's way. That's not wrong But we all. got to where we wanted to be. No, oh. I'm just kidding. And, it was like, <laughs> and we were just like, oh, that was wrong. Was that wrong? No, that no. wasn't wrong. That was no. clearly taking advantage of something that... Yeah, it's, it's that, just, yeah. But we got to where we wanted to be. Yeah. Um, I was not good to Alan when he broke his ACL. I think that one... Broke his ACL, tore his ACL. You don't really break an ACL. You tear it, don't you? That's the wine. Now we're breaking ligaments. Crack. (laughs) There goes a ligament. Um, I think that, you know, in medicine you see such horrible things. You also, as a a skier, I've done some really big injuries to myself. Mm -hmm. I've torn my hip and had surgery and been on crutches for like three months. I've torn my a ligament in my hand and haven't been able to operate for like months and months. Um, yeah. I've had some big ski injuries that have taken me out for the season. Um, and, you know, when he tore his ACL, I'm like, dude, you ski. Of course you're going to do this, you know? And we were meant to go on a snowcat trip and, um, <laughs> and we'd signed up for it and he blew his ACL like, two weeks before never crossed my mind to not go to not go <laughs> oh, it never did I, I like it really didn't that, that because be right and i left him here <clears throat> after a fresh surgery well firstly i took the kids to squaw for a weekend two days after his surgery but i i flew one of his best friends up to look after him but i guess help him help him off the toilet and helping him get in the shower is just not the same. Maybe I should have been there, not his best mate. And then I left the kids with him, and he told me to go. So of I course did. he did. Right, but then he got really pissed at me, and I probably <laughs> shouldn't have gone. And it, it caused problems, for, actually, for a long time, because he was really, really hurt. And I get that. But at the same time, I'm like, it's freaking powder skiing. <laughs> you tore your knee. You had surgery. Like, shit. That happens. My level of empathy for those things is just not there. Because it's like, dude, you're not like bleeding out. You can like lose a leg. You've still got your legs attached. So, yeah. He's going to listen to this, isn't he? And he's going to be like, you're an asshole. Potentially he could. He probably won't. Yeah, well. No, he'll get bored by this point. (laughs) He would have switched it off. So, yeah, that was a bit of an asshole move on my part. All right. Nah, well, asshole move and truly wrong, I don't like her actually uh, the same yeah. thing. Uh, I haven't, like, killed anyone or anything. Wow. Well, well, not intentionally. And sometimes that might... Oh, jeez. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <clears throat> um, yeah. <laughs> wow, that just might 
my train of thought just completely derailed. Well, you know, I mean, no, I, that was a joke. I know, it was a joke. My kids it's always say that. quite literal for you, too, so that's... <laughs> wow. Yeah. Okay, um, I'm going to go on to the next question. Uh, this is kind of wordy, so... Okay. But you'll get it. What is your opinion about the natural hierarchical order in reference to humanity? Hmm... Yeah, it's wordy. Do you know what I'm getting at? No. Okay. Um, Again, I'm not that deep. Yeah. yeah. In well, terms of humanity, natural hierarchical order. Yeah. What do you think about... What is your opinion? What are your thoughts about hierarchy and how it's played out with humanity? Am I just not getting it? Maybe. I think I you are not getting it. Um, <clears throat> now you have to explain your wordy question. Well, I and I, and I said so. Nat- humanity. So we're not we're talking about humans. I'm talking about humans because but when I said the natural hierarchical order, because I I do believe that there's like a a certain um, aspect of humanity that happens because of natural order. And I believe mm-hmm. that there's a hierarchical order of yep. humans in a certain way. And so essentially when I when I, mm. when I initially thought about these questions, I was thinking about things that were kind of issues at this particular time. Specifically like um, how we think of, of, I don't know, we might... What we we might call critical issues of our time, like yeah, like racism and um, sexism, uh, um, well, even yeah. you, how transgender is a big thing, as, as yeah, you know, yeah, right yeah, um, and but but in and I wrote natural specifically because in nature there's. So it, it sometimes doesn't really uh, it's not congruent with the way that humanity has moved and I'm just curious what what you ha- what your opinion about how people are evolving and the hierarchical order of if you even believe that there's like a true hierarchical order we're not talking about I'm not talking about kings and peasants and feudalism kind of stuff but you know but we still like, have misogyny that. exists like men are in positions of authority more often than women are in general um i think do we have do do we have specific things because of how we as people have evolved yeah is there an order and is there a hierarchy because because of that well it's interesting because i i'm in a profession where (laughs) especially here in the u.s they love this hierarchical shit you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm also in. Well, and I'm American through and through. That's why I wrote this thing. <laughs> but you know, it's it's um, you know this whole like um, what I've struggled with. I mean, seriously, as a woman in surgery and a woman in medicine, I that's a whole other story of all the crap you've had to deal with and the sexist statements I'm and sure. the shit like that. Yeah. Um, but it's less so now because you could, I mean, we do these cases where there's like four of us, three of us surgeons, three or four of us in the same room 
doing a really major case over many hours and everyone's got their... T- and it's all female surgeons, you know? And so you've got plastics, colorectal, you know, urology, GYN, and it's you've got your anesthesiologist, and we're all women. Awesome. You know, so you've seen all this this change over it. But, That's some progression. Um, yeah, and I think that... You still see a little bit with the older guys. You see it with the younger guys too. I of had, course you do. I, I had. It's, I it's went ingrained in, in us, and we don't know how to handle. Yeah, it. yeah. And I, 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 um, and I had a um, when I was in Sacramento, there was this OBGYN who called me up in the middle of my day, and I had to like leave my clinic and race to this hospital because he was struggling with this case, and I. Went in there and, you know, for about, I don't know, an hour or so and operated and, and I was like, hey, have you got it from here? I've really got to get back to clinic. <laughs> and as I walked out, I pulled my gloves off and I walked out and he was oper- his assistant with another female surgeon. But as I walked out, <laughs> he was just like, wow, I just got my ass saved by a girl. That's what he said to me. And I was like, I turned around and I'm like, no, dude, you got your ass saved by a GYN oncologist. You know, No don't pull that shit with me. And I walked out. And um, and it was weird to have someone of my own generation speak like that, mm-hmm. you know. And it was a person he was hanging out with too, an older surgeon that I think fed that sort of that sort of crap. But it's that's less and less. But what I do think is just within, within you know, um, what I find weird in the, in the US is the whole like hierarchy within, you know, the office, the OR, you know, I insist people call me Susie. I don't want to be called Dr. Morton. Oh. I, most OR staff call me Susie, the surgical techs and nurses. My office staff will not. They all call me Dr. Morton. I was just like, you know, we all have a role here. Like if someone didn't come and empty the trash, this place would be a mess. We couldn't function. You know, if someone, you know, we all have a role here. And I think, especially in the operating room, wow. we should be on first name basis so because think- I want, I you know what, if it comes to an emergency situation, I say, do this now, do this now, and it's a true emergency, no one's going to question me. They're going to do what I'm telling them. But I want an environment where we can all speak up. And I think if we're on first name basis and you're like, hey, did you sure you wanted this? Are you sure you, is this yeah. what you were? Mm-hmm. Whereas there's so much like blind sort of respect of like, that's the doctor. Don't question the doctor. And that to me is dangerous. Yeah. So, so that's, <clears throat> I don't know, I don't know, I don't know that that's not the natural thing because that's within medicine. Mm-hmm. But I think that, um, I don't know, I, I. No, I think that's, I think that's a really incredible comment because. Uh, it, it, I think it takes what I'm talking about even to a deeper level. And, and like you, you just saying coming in here, uh, you saying, I don't, I don't know why anyone would be interested in me, but I, I think of you as a much (laughs) higher level of human than me. See, that's I know, and it's and, and, and that's so stupid. And it's know? stupid. You're right. Well, like when you and were I, saying, "Oh my God, you got a master's from Cornell," I'm like, "I really didn't do much." I know that was the easiest thing but, ever. But because of the way that I was raised, what I've learned, what I know about Cornell, mm-hmm. the I mean, mm-hmm. all all of that has it. It holds like weight and has information that is pressed upon me, 
and I and I think of it in a specific way. Right, so you put people be, in these boxes and you say, well, if you've done this, of course. you must be on this other of course. plane. Yeah, exactly. And, it, and it's hard for me to, um, even though... <laughs> Even though I think that I am pretty progressive and I think, I try to think outside of the, uh, I, I hate saying the box, but you know, mm-hmm. I, I, I try to think differently or more broadly. Um, it's, it's inevitable because of the, my culture and how. And the roles of. Exactly. Yeah. Everything that's just pushed on me mm-hmm. um, that I can't, I can't look I can't immediately look outside of that. I have to actually consciously think about it prior to answering or something. And then, because now that I'm thinking about it now, it's like, oh, geez, I was I was doing exactly what she's talking about the op- the opposite of right now. Right. And that's why I yeah. appreciate what you're saying. But it's 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 However, we see this a lot, you know. But yeah. but really, like, you have more education than the surgical tech. You have. You you have more experience, like you, right. you do have right. I don't. Know, I, I don't, I in, don't. In, in placing value or whatever, I mean that's a hard thing to do. But when it when it comes to like in your particular case with a, a instance of surgery, when you know what's going on and and this, you know, tech doesn't. No, but, but there's, there's a, no, no, no. Of course, like of course, it is. I mean, it's important I always. Too. Have, but the thing is, to me, surgery is something where arrogance is the most dangerous thing in the world. Hmm. Like, if if a cleaner walks into the operating room and says, hey, maybe you should do it this way, I'll be like, yeah, no, no, I don't, I don't think so. But maybe, maybe they do have an idea. I mean, we have, we have techs... P, the PAs that would work with other surgeons it would, and techs would be like, hey, maybe you should try this instrument or maybe we could do it. I saw so-and-so do it this way. Mm-hmm. They have a wealth of information. Like, you know, telling medical students, like, you're, you know, you walk onto the floor when you become a doctor and you've been a doctor for 10 minutes and here's a nurse that's been in this area for 35 for 30 years. Five years. Yeah. I mean, when I... When I get calls at night from nurses, you know, especially like in the ICU, and they're like, this is going on, this is going on, one of the first things I ask is like, what do you want to do? Because they usually know what needs to be done. Hmm. And, you know, and <clears throat> their experience is huge. Yeah. They're, they're, they're you know, that they may know way more about this, or we should do this, 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 or we could try this, and I'm like, oh, that's a great idea. You know, and so... Like hospice nurses, we manage patients on hospice, but we really don't. Yeah. We just sign the orders that the nurses send us. Mm-hmm. And they call and saying, this is a problem. And I'm like, what do you want to do? And they're like, well, we could try this drug, that, something. And you're like, that's a great idea. Let's do that. Or well, maybe, you know, there's a reason why we can't do that that I know of. But, yeah. you know, but I think that... It should be a conglomerate. Right. You know, and we all have different roles. Sure. And I think that's what really is... Like, I think Alan the other day shared this thing where it was like, you know, a picture of like this, you know, like an IV set up where there's like tubes going everywhere of, you know, one of these things where it's got like an IV pump and antibiotics hanging and something else hanging and it's like no doctor could figure this out. I'm like, hell no. But that's not my job, you know. 
Mm-hmm. Yes, the nurse can figure that out because that's her job. Yeah. You know, or his job. And but they can't do what I do. It doesn't mean that I'm less or they're less. Yeah. We're doing different jobs. And, you know, I think having people on a first name basis and them calling me by my first name, if I need something done in an emergency situation, they're going to freaking do it. They're going to respect me and do it. And mm-hmm. I don't need to have this sort of like, you know, yes, doctor, you know, thing. I know that, you know, on most of the time things are really calm and things are really boring in surgery and that's how we love it. We like yeah. a boring day. But when, you know, the shit hits the fan, you know, pe- people get back into that quick hierarchy that you need, but you don't need it at every other time. You know, yeah. it's it's mm-hmm. not saying, you know, I'm I'm telling you to do something that's completely off the wall. You know, you should be able to tell me that's stupid, you know. Mm-hmm. Do you really want me to do that? You know, so we can, shouldn't blindly follow orders, but there needs to be, in, emer- in situations there needs to be that hierarchy, yeah. but you don't need it all the time. And you don't need people to be sitting there feeling like they're, or just, you know, feeling like they're God. Right. That great joke, what's the difference between God and a doctor? God, God doesn't think he's a doctor or she's a doctor. <laughs> so, you know? Yeah. So we need to get away from that. You know, we need to get away from, I don't know, we need to get rid of white coats and calling people doctor. Hmm. I, I'm, I do like that idea, but I also think that it might be dangerous too. I don't think so. I don't think so if you know your role. I just think that it's, you know, when you see, I found this because in New Zealand, everyone's first name basis. I was called doctor once in New Zealand. It was sarcastically by a nurse. Otherwise they'd call me Susie. And I, you know, I'm calling them by their first name. I'm not calling them nurse ratchet, you know. Why, Why do they not call me by my first name? And I would, I always introduce myself to my patients as Susie, you know, mm-hmm. I'm your doctor. They're not, they know who I am, but they can know, know me by my first name. And you introduce a first year doctor in this country to a patient, which I've done many times. It's like, I'm Susie, one of the doctors, this is so-and-so, one of the other doctors. They're like, I'm Dr. So-and-so. And I'm like, oh yeah, for the last three months you were... You know, before that, you're a little med student. And then, but they have this total, it breeds this whole like entitlement that they know everything, you know. And it's like you see them just getting crushed by these nurses of 30 years that know so much more than them. And I'm like, if you go in there just realizing your place in this whole healthcare system and how you, may know a lot about you know, all this physiology stuff, but you get on the floor as a junior doctor, yeah. the nurses, if you if they're not your best friends, like you need them. Yeah. They have the wisdom, they they have that years of knowledge and right. and you gotta use them. Yeah. Use them. You gotta you know mm-hmm. you gotta respect them and if you if you act like you know more than a nurse with 30 years experience that she knows that field you may know not a lot of other stuff but she knows that field or he he I know I'm very very sexist don't I <laughs> caught me up. 
This is going to turn into drunk history. <laughs> I feel it. <laughs> uh, no, it's not. Cause we're, it's not. No, no. We're, we'll just shut this down. <laughs> we're coming around. Yeah, this is the last question. Okay. Uh, that was that was very insightful. I appreciate that. Um, last question. What is your theme song? Ooh. Yeah. Dream Team by Spearhead. What? Michael Fronte. Do you know that song? Um, no, but sing sing a little or give me oh a gosh. line or something. I don't have my final mic. It's copyright infringement. I can't play stuff. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's Dream, Dream Team. Dream Team by Michael Fronte. It's, I love that song. It's, it's, um... Alan said that, I mean, he didn't, he couldn't pick a song, but he said Michael Fronte is. Oh my God, Michael Fronte is my. uh, I used to just play him in the OR all the time. No Um, kidding. Wow. So Dream Team is a, that's really funny. (laughs) It's him describing a, talking about how, you know, in the years of Rodney King, Mm -hmm. you know, African-Americans are representing the U.S., in basketball, the Olympics, the dream team. But he makes his own dream team. And his own dream team has, you know, Martin Luther King. It has all these, like, black activists that have done, you know. Sure. And, um, you know, it has Pippin that's, you know, the the basketball player is actually, like, just serving the popcorn and, you know. And it just talks about all these people that are just, you know, playing the game. You have, like, to, you have I to like listen Michael to it. Frantic. Yeah, I, that's my like cooking song. It used to be my cooking song because I'd cook so infrequently that yeah. whenever mm-hmm. I would cook, it would be, I'd put on Dream Team. Awesome. You didn't even have to think about it. I know. That was great. It's like, well, yeah. All right. There you go. That, that was it. <laughs> Thank you for contributing to other people's knowledge. I don't know that I did. You did. <laughs> Thank you. It was this was fun. fun. Yeah. Cheers. Okay.